I'm going to do the scripture reading for today. It's from Mark 4, 26 through 34. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And Joel, you can come on up. Um, I'm just gonna introduce you guys to Joel Law. Hopefully, most of you have met him. Uh, A smattering of applause, I like that. (laughs) A true smattering. Um, Joel uh, has been, Joel and his wife Karen have been with Door of Hope Northeast uh, since before we launched. They were part of the core group that that helped us start, uh, had been around Door of Hope for years. I might be spoiling some of what you're going to share, sorry if I do. (laughs) Anyway, I should stop. But Joel is one of our elders here, uh, along with myself and Josh Wilder currently, and um, he is, he's an amazing man, Um, and we think... Uh, theologically, biblically, we would say we, th- we believe the elders of, of a local church are the ones primarily responsible for, for teaching and protecting the teaching of a local church. Uh, myself and Josh are on staff. We have more of our time dedicated and devoted to being able to do this, but we think it's really important uh, for y'all to hear from our, from our other elders from time to time. Uh, and so this is a really awesome opportunity to get to know him uh, and, and for us all to be blessed by him opening up the scriptures for us. Uh, that said, we, we hope to have a lot of other people as well, kind of under, like, imparted by the elders to come up and, and teach over time as well. We just think it's good for us to get to hear the word from not just any one individual, but, but from our whole community and even sometimes people from outside our community. So that's what we're doing. This is Joel. Let's give him a... Not just a smattering, but a real applause. How are you guys doing? All right. I hope you guys uh, are enjoying the change of weather a little bit. And uh, I pulled out of my driveway, and wow, it was was coming down. It was getting wet. And... uh, yeah, yesterday I was up on Silver Star Mountain uh, doing some hiking and doing some huckleberry picking. And uh, those bushes were wet. And uh, that was the price that we had to pay. We got in there and we picked the berries, but we got really wet. And, uh, but I brought back about a gallon of, of huckleberries. And uh, as a family, we enjoy uh, consuming those uh, huckleberries. Uh, Karen is very creative uh, with what she does with those huckleberries. And anyways, it's a joy to be in front of you this morning and, and uh, opening God's Word. And Cameron and, and Josh, they've been talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, 
and how he came to save people like me and you and give us purpose to wake up and get out of bed every morning and we're on the way somewhere you know we're, we're heading somewhere and uh, it's going to be with Jesus and it's because of the gospel that I'm here today and it's because of the gospel that I'm even alive you know let me uh, tell you something the good news of Jesus came to my grandparents in the early 1900s and I'm so thankful for that my grandparents, uh, they practice a mixture of Buddhism and uh, ancestor worship. And ancestor worship is really a form of self-worship because eventually you're going to be one of these guys that everyone's going to be worshiping. But when my grandparents heard about the good news of Jesus, they, they left their traditional worship and they followed Jesus exclusively. And I, I'm thankful for that. And, uh, you know, my father was a pastor, and uh, uh, he, he was obedient to the call of Christ. And, and, and Jesus led him out of China uh, into Vietnam and planted a church there in Vietnam. And I'll tell you, that church is still up and running today. And, and so it's amazing. So I was born there. And, you know, as Cameron was mentioning to you uh, all the things that were happening in Afghanistan, uh, it, you saw those images, the, the crazy chaos at the airport, and, um, you know, people trying to hang on to the airplane and hiding in the wheel wells. There, there's a lot of tragedy that happened out of Afghanistan. But it brought to uh, remembrance a lot of people from the Vietnamese community who experienced a similar thing in 1975 when Saigon fell. Uh, a very similar thing. People were trying to get out, and if they got left behind, uh, life would not be certain for them. And, and so, you know, that could have been me. That could have been me in 1975. And, and for that reason, I say I might not be a, alive standing before you today. So I just really thank God for his grace upon my life. And, uh, uh, well, anyways, I'm talking about um, my, my father. Uh, he, uh, he left Vietnam well before the, the U.S. got involved in that conflict. And so, uh, so it's, uh, it was possible for us to avoid uh, that chapter, that dark chapter. So, so my father... Um, he left Vietnam and went to Chicago, and that's where my memories as a child kicks in. Yeah, I was uh, almost two when I arrived in Chicago, and uh, those were interesting times. Uh, and so my father pastored a, a church for an immigrant church, and what pastors did was uh, they would often do visitation on Saturday mornings. And, and there in Chicago, uh, his demographics, he was visiting families in their 40s and 50s. I mean, the parents are in their 40s and 50s. And the kinds of jobs that they could hold down were dry cleaners or restaurants. And so once in a while, I would tag along and um, see what happened. Excuse me here. And so when my father visited people, what he did was he cared for people. 
he listened to people. He listened to their struggles, and uh, he, and sometimes um, needs would come up, and he would find that there were physical needs, and so my dad knew something about acupressure. You know, he studied these charts of the human nervous system, how pressure points are connected with certain organs, and by stimulating these things, uh, it it um, it it uh, makes things better. And so over time, people um, uh, improved their health, and that was great because that's a time when people didn't have much uh, in the way of health coverage, and my father was able to uh, help people and care for people in a holistic way. But after just a year or two of doing that in Chicago, he found out that acupressure was not widely accepted and it was, in fact, frowned upon. It, there was no uh, licensing for this or anything like that, and so he just dropped that. And uh, what an irony, because today, here in the West, we're embracing all this kind of, of uh, technology and, and practice. Now, as a pastor's kid, you know, we did not live in affluent neighborhoods. Uh, we didn't live in places like Lake Oswego, the Dunthorpe neighborhood, the Portland Hills. Uh, no, I, I lived uh, in, in uh, transitional neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen it. I've seen white flight. And it's not just white flight, because over time, as the uh, Asian community and even the black community uh, was able to gain the resources and the ability to live outside of the city centers, uh, they fled the city core. And here in Portland, people used to live close to the city core. The Chinese people did. But over time, as they've uh, uh, accumulated wealth, they went to places like you know, Happy Valley and Beaverton and, and all kinds of nice places. But back then, it was different. It, it was rough. I went to the school of hard knocks, and I did get knocked around. I'll tell you a story about um, being with my father. As our household, uh, you know, we needed to find a, a place to stay. And so my father grabbed a newspaper uh, we had newspapers back then, classified ads, uh, homes for rent. And so my father circled all these possible places that he would go and check out. And so I tagged along, and this is in Oakland now, and, and we were in Chicago for about five years. Then, then there was another, a greater need uh, for uh, pastors in California. And so uh, we were looking for a place to stay. And we walked up those stairs, and, and my father pressed that doorbell. And uh, the man opens up the door. And my father says, uh, is this house still for rent? And the, the man took one look at him and said, wrong color. And he slammed the door. And I remember that. I said, wow, this, this is harsh, but that's the world we live in. You know, when I was growing up, I, I didn't think anything of living in the hood, you know, and, and, but now I look back and I said, wow, how did I survive these times? 
Uh, well, the answer, of course, is Jesus. You know, my parents weren't perfect. Uh, they were sometimes too busy to, uh, you know, caring for other people that they didn't have enough time to care for, for me and my siblings. And uh, my father admitted that later in life, and uh, I, I was glad that he made that realization. But one thing he did right is that he had people praying for me. And that made a lot of difference in my life. I, I don't know where I'd be if uh, people weren't praying for me, but I'm glad that uh, they, they did. Let's talk about another neighborhood. I want to talk about the neighborhood of Jesus. See, he grew up in Nazareth, and Nazareth was part of a, 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 an association of cities that, that rimmed the Sea of Galilee. And if you were a Jewish person living at the time, uh, it meant several things. Uh, it meant that you were a minority in that region, and, and, and so I could identify with that. And if you were from Galilee, uh, you spoke with an accent. Now, I don't know what that might have been like, but here in this country, you know, we can hear accents of people who grew up in Texas and Florida, New York, New England, and, and Michigan, and those places. And as I serve international students uh, as a cross-cultural worker, I, I hear accents, and I could, I could pinpoint where some accents are. I could, I could pinpoint Singapore English. You know, I, I could pinpoint, you know, uh, uh, Indian English, and you, you guys can. You, you've done all these uh, 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 computer help uh, calls, and you've, you've ended up with somebody from there, and you had a hard time uh, understanding what they're saying. But anyways, um, if you were a Jewish person living and growing up in this region of Galilee, it also meant that you were looked down upon. And, and quite literally, this, this was true because people in Jerusalem, they lived up on the hill. They were up at 3,000 uh, feet elevation. But the people in Galilee, you were down uh, near sea level. And, and, uh, and they, they looked down on you uh, in more ways than one. We, we remember in John chapter 1 when, um, when Peter and his brother went up to Nathaniel and asked him, hey, you want to come and check out this man Jesus from Nazareth? And uh, Nathaniel said, could anything good come from Nazareth? And so Nazareth had this reputation and maybe it did live up to that reputation. It was, um, it was nothing great. Can I talk about football? <laughs> I'm a Raider fan, okay? And, and I followed the Raiders even before they moved into their old stadium in Oakland. I've played on, on the same field where they started playing games. And, um, you know, I was sad to see them go to Vegas 
but uh, I was a Raider fan. Now, through the years, you know, especially in the uh, what, 70s, 80s, 90s, there's been no love between Raider fans and San Francisco 49er fans. <laughs> and if you're wearing the wrong color to, uh, you know, the wrong stadium, uh, you could find yourself in a lot of trouble. Uh, and, and, uh, so, and there have been people who've gotten really badly hurt. Now, I, I bring this up because the San Francisco 49ers, they represent money and wealth, gold. And they live on the, uh, the peninsula side of, of the Bay Area. But the Raiders, you know, on, on the Oakland side, they represented the ghetto, the hood. And so there was this uh, snobbery going on. And, and so there was some of this snobbery going on here with uh, uh, the folks in Galilee. So we come to this parable in Mark 4. And so if you got your Bibles open, you could look at it again or you could look right up there. And I'll read it again. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. On this morning, um, I, I brought a little sample of wheat for you, and, and uh, I'm not going to tell you where I got it from. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you. I, I, uh, I was riding my bike uh, out near Hillsboro, and I saw a uh, wheat field, and uh, there was a, a, a section where um, a, a tractor had run over a lot of wheat, and so I went over there, and I grabbed some of the stuff that was already run over, and I... I put it in my pockets, and, and, and here it is. I could thank that farmer, whoever it was. Now, who is the farmer here in this parable? And, of course, if you uh, go back to the parable of the sower, that's the key. Uh, the, the farmer is Jesus, but it's not just Jesus. It's also you, because Jesus invites me and you to help scatter those seeds. And we scatter those seeds by the lives that we live and the words that we speak. And last week we talked about that light being on the lampstand. We want to shine our lights before all men. And, you know, in our lives that we live before people, it's important for us to acknowledge God in good things that happen. And in, in disasters and bad things that happen, it's important for us to point to Jesus as our hope. Now, I, I have the pleasure and opportunity to scatter seeds with international students who come here from all over the world, and they're studying at places like PCC and PSU. And, you know, I do this together with other volunteers, some from our church, and it's, it's a joy and privilege to scatter seeds with them. You know, we don't twist arms. We don't uh, corner people. 
Um, and, you know, sometimes they'll come to, to faith in Christ uh, during their stay here in Portland, and sometimes they'll get baptized, and that's great. But more, usual, more usually, uh, they don't. You know, they'll go home back to their countries, and sometimes God works on their heart. And over time, sometimes we'll get an email, and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll say, hey, hey, Joel, guess what? Um, I, I'm now following Jesus. And that always brings me such joy. And so, yeah, it's great to scatter seeds this way. Now, some of you might come from a farming background. Uh, I'm not a farmer, but I, I've had the opportunity to help a farmer out before. Uh, see, I was living in the Bay Area. Then I uh, went to Salem, Oregon, down the road uh, for, for college. And I attended Corbin University. And I took a summer job. And the summer job was to be a fire lookout uh, out in eastern Oregon. And that was a very unique job. It was a very lonely job because I would live up on top of a six or 7,000 uh, foot mountain, and I would stay there for 10 days at a shot. It was two five, uh, five day weeks put together. And I would have uh, four days off. And so with my off days, I stayed on a ranch where this farmer grew hay near John Day. And I, I helped him out. He showed me how to work his tractor. And so I drove this tractor around. I was mowing the hay. And then uh, later I would come back and after it was ready, I would, uh, I would rake it and, and get it into rows and, and get it ready for the baler to, to come by later. And so, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of interesting because I, I was out there. I didn't have this enclosed uh, air-conditioned tractor. I, I, I was mosquito bait, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I donated a lot of blood to those mosquitoes. So this parable is about a partnership. And, and Cameron said the word uh, partnership when he was talking about uh, uh, know me now. And, uh, and so we have lots of partnerships uh, in life. Uh, we have partnerships in business. And, and marriage is a partnership. It's one of the, uh, the greatest partnerships. And, and unfortunately, not everyone sees marriage as a partnership, but they, they see it as a dictatorship, and we run into problems with that. And so here, this farmer has this partnership with God. The farmer has his part to do. He has to get up out of bed every morning and, and do what farmers do. He has to sow seeds. He has to sometimes pull weeds. He sometimes has to, you know, pick up rocks and, and uh, manage water resources. And uh, uh, sometimes chase off birds or, or animals. The farmer does his part and God does his. And he's got no, no understanding or control over the whole process of how everything works. Uh, you know, he's, he's got no control over the weather. They really need rain, and I'm, I'm so glad to see us get a little bit, bit of rain today. 
And this farmer has no understanding of the whole process of how biology and all this stuff works. He doesn't even know the word photosynthesis. And he's got no degree in agriculture from, from OSU and Corvallis or anything like that. And, and Jesus here is giving us a hint that there's more to life, to this world, than what we can see and touch and feel and smell. There's much more because the kingdom of God, eternity, it intersects this physical world in the person of Jesus. And we're reminded also of how God uh, asked uh, Adam and Eve to, uh, to partner with him in managing the Garden of Eden. In this parable, it's not about the farmer doing it all by himself. He doesn't stay up at night worrying about uh, the rain and, and temperatures and all that stuff. Uh, any other possible problems, maybe uh, insect infestations. No, he goes to sleep and, and, and he lets nature and God take care of the rest. And rest is part of our responsibility because if we don't get our our rest, we're not going to be very good partners with God. What keeps you up at night? Are you sometimes trying to control things that are out of your reach? You know, there's a long list of things that keep us up at night. And I'll, I'll confess to thinking about what others thought about me. I was in the working world, and I've had Co-workers, I worried what they thought about me. I, I've, I've had customers, and I've worried about what they thought about me. Managers, I've worried about what they thought about me. But the problem is, you know, we waste too much time, effort, and, and sleep thinking about what other people think about us. Because all that really matters is what Jesus thinks about me. That's all that matters. And he thinks the world of you. He loves you very much. And, and that's all that really matters. Last year, I was really troubled with all the riders that uh, went crazy. And I know that there's riders on both ends of the spectrum. But I was really distressed in, in hearing and seeing uh, businesses, big and small, get, get dis destroyed and smashed by these rioters, especially if I knew that, that a business belonged to an immigrant family or something like that. Wow, that, that really hurt. I think about the gun violence that is rampant in this city, in our whole country, in fact. Well, Jesus is our fortress. He's our protector. He's our high tower, and he's going to protect us. I worry about family relationships that get out of control. Now, I've got, I've got uh, nephews and nieces. I've, you know, I've, I've got some crazy things that happen in my family, and, and there's been trauma and, and dysfunction uh, with one of my siblings and their family and, and you know, all their kids. Uh, you know, they, they're experiencing dysfunction in, in a big way. 
And it manifests itself you know, physically. Uh, they have all kinds of health problems. Uh, it manifests emotionally. Yeah, those guys are wrecks and very fragile, uh, very um, uh, hard for them to connect and, and socialize with other people. And, and uh, mentally, um, they, they have a hard time. And, and spiritually, a lot of them have turned their backs on, 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 on what they grew up with and what they knew with a Christian background. They're turning their backs because of what they have experienced in their lives. And so we're watching my, my, my nephews and nieces uh, as young adults, as 20 and 30 year olds, they're, they're making life decisions about things like school with, with housing, with jobs. They're making all these decisions or trying to make decisions, but they're not making really wise decisions. And, and it's um, kind of like watching a, a, a train wreck in, in slow motion. You know, I, I wish I had a joystick and I could control their lives. I could control their decisions. I wish I had that, but I can't. All I could do is sit back and, and watch and, and pray. I think about uh, uh, retirement funds. I'm right on the cusp of full re- retirement and I, I worry about that. I worry about my house, my neighborhood, and, and I get stressed out watching and hearing people race up and down my street, and, and I'm just thinking, man, there goes my neighborhood. But, you know, Paul reminds us that we have an inheritance. It's not measured in dollars. It's measured in some other way, far greater. And, and Jesus himself says, I go to prepare a place for you, and that's something that we can all bank on, whether or not you have a house. Jesus says in Matthew chapter eleven twenty-eight, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my Yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what's, what's a yoke? A yoke is a wooden beam with curves built into them that goes around ox so uh, they could team up and, and do work. Jesus is inviting us into a partnership with him. He's got one end and you've got the other, but Jesus does all the heavy lifting. Now, we're still talking about seeds, but we're moving on to the next parable. And it's the parable of the mustard seed. And, and so let's read, uh, read that again. And he said, what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when, which, when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, like I told you, I'm not much of a farmer, but um, 
you know, I've had a chance to ride my bike out in the countryside, and I've had friends who've pointed things out to me and said, hey, look at that, that mustard field there. It's all lit up with yellow. And, and I said, oh, really? Okay, all right, that's what mustard uh, field looks like. Um, okay. And, you know, I, I googled mustard seeds, and uh, one of the first things I saw is that Amazon has two size of seed packets for mustards. The, the small one uh, contains 5,000 uh, seeds <laughs> in the small one. The large one, uh, there's 10,000. You get 10,000 seeds out of that big boy. <laughs> yeah, try counting these seeds. You know, make sure you get all 5,000 of your mustard seeds or, or 10,000, you know. <laughs> if, if you can't get to sleep at night, you know, you could try buying one of these things and counting it. <laughs> 4,001, 4,002. Ah. Forget about sheep. <laughs> you know, this parable about the mustard seed, it's about the explosive potential of the gospel. Now, Jesus started with the 12, and then uh, before long, it went to 500. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 15. And then it, it grew to 2,000 and, and more. And the gospel went beyond just the Jewish nation. The, uh, the gospel went uh, uh, around and... And Thomas is credited with bringing the gospel to India. And like I was telling you, American missionaries uh, came to China. They were missionaries with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And, and I have a debt of gratitude to those missionaries who came and, and uh, shared the gospel there in China. Now, about a hundred years ago, shortly, not too long after the gospel came to China, there was a couple of pastors who had this vision. And they had a, a common vision. It, it was the same. It was about bringing the gospel back to Jerusalem. And it's not just to Jerusalem, but it's all these nations that are on the path between China and Jerusalem. And that path is, was known as the Silk Road. And it's also known as the 1040 window. And so this path would include Pakistan and India and, and Afghanistan and, and all these stand countries. I can't remember all those stand countries. But uh, uh, anyways, this was that, that vision. Um, and this vision kind of was quiet for some time. But in the 1980s, uh, this vision picked up and it was prayed for. And uh, things uh, were still quiet. And then in the year 2000, 36 missionaries from China uh, left the borders of China and they began to infiltrate these various countries along the way. And uh, uh, their goal 
is 100,000 missionaries. And, you know, I could, I could, um, I could see how these uh, missionaries would kind of work. Uh, they would naturally reach other Chinese people in these uh, places because the Chinese people, they end up, you know, in every, just about every country uh, opening up restaurants. And, and so I could see them reaching other Chinese people. But it's more than just the Chinese people because uh, the new generation of missionaries that are being raised up in China, and this, this is all underground, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Uh, the new generation of missionaries are, um, they're learning uh, Arabic, they're le learning Hindu, they're learning English, and it's their desire to reach Buddhists and, and Muslims uh, and others to Christ. And, you know, I, I'm excited about that vision. I'm excited about Back to Jerusalem movement. And, you know, things are already happening. You know, I'm aware that in Iran, that's the number one place in the world where people are coming to Christ. And, and why are they coming to Christ? Well, you know, there's some crazy things that happen. And, and Jesus is showing up in the dreams of, of a lot of men and women there in, in Iran, Iran and probably Iraq too. And some of these people might be hardline people, hardliners from Taliban and hardliners with ISIS. And the common thing in these dreams is about this man who's dressed in white. He's got these shiny garments on. And, and so uh, missionaries uh, from everywhere, uh, they're probably tent makers, they get into these hardline countries and, and they, their common approach is they will ask uh, people, uh, taxi drivers or whatever, they'll ask, have you had any dreams? And, and uh, they'll, they'll say, uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's this man all you know, dressed in white. And then the uh, t tent maker missionary would go in and, and, uh, and uh, open up a Bible in their own language and they'll show them John chapter 17 and there Jesus takes Peter, James, and John on, up on top of this mountain and, and, and Jesus be, begins to transform. He gets transfigured and his clothes are shining. And then you know, the, the taxi driver or, or whoever it is, they'll say, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the guy, that's the man. And, and so the tent maker missionary you know, says, here, here's, here's a Bible, a uh, New Testament, you read it, and, and uh, we can get back together uh, you know, in, in a week or two and, and we'll talk about it. And, and this, is, this kind of thing is happening. Not only is, is um, our people coming to Christ from dreams, uh, but the Bible is being broadcast on radio and satellite TV from outside the country. Let's pray for Back to Jerusalem that God will raise up 100,000 missionaries or more to scatter seeds in, in that space, in that Silk Road, in the 1040 window where most of the world's population lives. Now this parable has a mention of a bird in the story. Now, I, I like birds. 
I, I like hummingbirds. I, I like to watch them hover around and, and uh, uh, go after their nectar, after the feeders. And uh, I, I, I like morning doves. I like to listen to their coo, and I like to imagine what they might be, be saying. You know, they have this rhythmic thing that they, <laughs> rhythmic song that they sing. Now, some of you guys might be serious birders. I'm, I'm not in your league, but, you know, I, I'm learning. Uh, this year I learned about the cedar waxwing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really pretty little bird. Um, and, uh, well, the bird in this story, you know, it's, it's, it's not of this cute uh, bird that, you know, that's in my books. Uh, the bird... How do we understand this bird? Well, we go back to the parable of the sower. And as the seed gets tossed out into the ground, uh, this bird comes by and snatches that seed out of the hearts of, of people, out of the hearts of men and women. The bird is the evil one because he desires to snatch the seed, the gospel, the word of, of God, the words of Jesus. He wants to snatch it out of people's hearts. He, he, he wants to blind and confuse. Um, he wants to distort the whole good news of Jesus. And we see that today. We see uh, reports after reports of scandals and, and, and failures of pastors. And, and what Satan is doing is he's trying to say everybody's like that. But it's not. He's distorting the picture. And that's how the evil one Works. He's done it before and he's doing it again today. In China, there's been rapid growth of the gospel. Churches have grown rapidly, and, and there's probably more Christians in China than in our country today. But percentage wise, it's probably much lower, and, and so there's much work to be done. But during these periods of rapid growth, there's a problem. You know, the problem is there's uh, a lot of cults pop up along with, uh, with this rapid growth. And, you know, there is a vacuum of, of, uh, of enough solid Bible teaching um, and, and churches. So there's a real, real big need. Now, how do we fight, fight the evil one? Uh, well, we don't confront the evil one ourselves. No, we, we partner with Jesus and, uh, and we call upon Jesus to fight our battles. Prayer is our weapon. And in our Lord's Prayer that we're going to be closing with, you know, there's that line, and deliver us from evil. You know, the parents of this bird in this parable, you know, it's a warning to us that we just can't cruise and coast because trouble is never far away. Satan is always at work uh, wherever God is at work. And so this bird, it might be a trailer for the next parable, and we'll stop here this morning. Let's pray.